0: It's beautiful! beautiful. Every color is, is powerful! Every color
1: is worthy! Try to bury us! They didn't realize we were seeds.
0: They didn't realize you we were seeds.
1: They we open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Saliari, and this is Salt the podcast, a series of encounters with inspiring women, the healers, activists, mothers, educators, and world changers. Together, we create community, share knowledge, amplify voices, heal, and break narratives by elevating a new generation. Welcome to SOLD, the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is Yuli Kim. Yuli is from Tokyo and has been living in the Netherlands since 2010. Her wife is American and they have two little children and a third one on the way. Yuli started Inclusion Sensei in 2020, her own company, promoting workplace inclusion. She's also a learning and development program manager at Workplace Pride Amsterdam. She believes that a sense of belonging is a prerequisite for anyone to perform their best at work. The title of today's encounter is Breaking Borders, and we will talk about being an LGBTQI plus family, inclusion in the workplace, Yuli salt, and mine too, and much, much more. Welcome, Yuli. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. I'm very happy that you're here with us today.
0: Thanks for having me, Stella.
1: <laughs> so let us start with our little warm-up question. Who is Yuli? Who's Yuli?
0: Um. Yeah, I've been, I've been living in the Netherlands since 2010. I did an MBA at Rotterdam School of Management that moved me to the Netherlands, um, originally from Tokyo. Um, I'm half Korean, half Japanese. I have a Korean name. That's the Korean name, Kim. Uh, but I don't read, speak, or can speak Korean because <laughs> um, I, I was born in Japan. So Japanese is my first language. And um, I'm a mom. Uh, two beautiful children, a third on the way, (laughs) partner, my wife is American. Yeah. And I have my own practice uh, company called Inclusion Sensei. Uh,
1: Yeah, that's me. Wonderful. Thank you for the introduction. And actually, you already moved to to the second uh, topic that we want to discuss today. You have your own company. It's called Inclusion Sensei. Maybe it's nice to tell us first, what does Sensei mean? And what is the company about? And
0: yeah, yeah, sure. So inclusion, uh, specifically, uh, um, uh, I had started my own company to advance workplace inclusion across gender, race, lgbtq plus sexual orientations, so gender expression, culture, religion, education—all that sort of um, personal characteristics uh, across the personal characteristics okay. and. Um, sensei means master in Japanese. So I put the inclusion and sensei uh, together. So um, like I said, um, I'm lesbian. Uh, and um, first I started thinking more about the LGBTIQ plus inclusion in the workplace. But as a matter of fact, our population is a little bit too small in a way to to draw more attention. And people are, you know, uh, the, the world is still quite focused. There's a lot of work to do across uh, on gender equality. Um, so, um, yeah, when I started my own company, I thought about only focusing on LGBTIQ plus inclusion, but then I noticed uh, there's a whole lot more spectrum. There's a whole lot more work to do in the workplace. So, um, before uh, workplace, uh, well, inclusion sensei, I was in uh, uh, business development. So basically, my job was to make companies richer by bringing more budgets and money so that's what I did for eighteen, 18 years and the, my turning point came in 2015 when I had the first child and uh, when I had her, uh, I really had to sort of reflect my career path and am I willing to do this you know business development, making more corporates like richer uh, I wouldn't say sacrificing my time, but the, you know, now that I have different priorities, my family, my work. So I had to revisit my priorities and I just couldn't convince myself to go back to work by doing what I was doing before I had my child. Yeah. So 2015, I just decided to um, go back to school to earn another degree that relates to the thing that I wanted to do, uh, which is workplace inclusion. So, I thought, well, it would be more helpful to have a degree in HR. So, Mastering Human Resource Management. And, um, yeah, apply, I started applying for jobs, but people wanted HR experiences, even though I had business development experience for 18 years. So, I thought, you know what? I'll just start my own practice. And, yeah, so in 2019, after finishing my master, uh, I started Inclusion
1: Sensei. Very nice. And you also said a sense of belonging is a prerequisite for anyone to perform their best at work. Mm -hmm. At least what I've seen from you and um, the few times we have encountered each other, what I read about you, you're very open with who you are. Um, I remember also a panel that I uh, followed where you spoke. You also wanted to be introduced as a lesbian woman. I also saw it on your website. And I think because you know who you are and you're very confident in that you also set certain boundaries. So people cannot easily, let's say, discriminate against you or attack you. And have you always been like this? Have you always been so no, confident. I, and I had
0: my, my own journey of, you know, who am I or, or wanted to be sort of normal, accepted in a society or don't, you know, nobody wants to, um, What's the right word? If there's a way, nobody wants to be treated differently from the other people, you know. But I think most LGBTIQ plus people, when they notice they're different, the first comes fear. Like, you don't tell anybody about your secret or how you feel. Because instinctively, we all sort of know because the society is so heteronormative. Everything is boy, girl, you know, yeah. mom, dad, or whatever. So, um, yeah, when I noticed I was different, I I really kept, to, kept it to myself for some years. But I'm, I'm a terrible liar. So when you're um, homosexual or lesbian or, or bisexual, I, I, I don't know, but um, you, you just don't lie about your gender uh, sexual orientation. You have to well, if you want to cover it up really well, you lie about the movie stars that you like, music that you listen to. When you're older, what type of clubs or music that you like, where you go out, who you hang out with, you know. And I just couldn't do it. I it was just too much work for me. But I thought, you know what? I'll just come out and then people don't like it, then too bad. Because there's no no other way that I can be this is who I am and yeah so I had my own journey in my late teenager um, early 20s but I didn't really feel comfortable with my own skin until like mid 20s mm.
1: yeah it's actually also so sad this expression right coming out <laughs> coming yeah. out of what like yeah right this also shows how our society is, is constructed. if you can I mean, just be yeah that's who i am whatever you know why do i have to have a certain moment where i have to be on a stage and yeah i think yeah, there's there's still a lot of work that has to be done on that
0: it's so unfair because straight yeah. people don't have to come out yeah you know in different life stages and then when you're um different um then you know the school that you enter the classes you mix up and then next new class. And then if people don't know about you and then start conversation, assuming you're heterosexual, then I, there's a moment of like, do I have to tell them or should I tell them or, or somebody else is going to do my job or, you know? uh, Yeah. And some people take this secret to their graveyard. Hmm. You know, it still happens. It's really sad. yeah, but for me, it was just too much to lie in different life, you know, life stages and different circumstances. So, uh, I chose to come out to my family first. It was, yeah, it was really difficult. Um, but I would have been that it would have been more difficult to live the way, the life that I wasn't true, you know. So that that was my choice. But I know many many others who choose not to. Um, yeah, that's, that's sad, but that's their choice. And I respect that
1: as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we already touched a little bit on that, but what is it like, because you say I have a wife, I have two kids, a third one on the way. So you, you, uh, you have a family. And what is it like to live as an LGBTQI plus family in a world that is heteronormative?
0: So I've, I've, well, we've visited. We went back to Japan and the U.S. as a family a couple of times, but really, we we live in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam, I think for the first time I experienced like what it's like to live like a normal person. I'll wow. give you an I'll give you an example. So Vanessa, and I, um, Vanessa, my wife and I um, got married in D.C., Washington D.C. in two thousand ten. And in 2011, uh, we well, she joined here in Amsterdam, and um, uh, we had to well, we register ourselves in the city hall, and uh, we had to submit the marriage certificate issued by the Washington, you know, Washington DC, and it was an you know, Applebee's stamp and everything. But I was worried, but you know, we, we're the same-sex couple. Do we need to bring like birth certificate or like a certificate of graduation from university? So I we have, like prepared everything like everything prepared all the questions and um we went to the city hall like over here here to submit the apples you know the marriage certificate with apple steel and i started explaining myself above we're same sex couple but in the us it's only these and and also this is my prejudice but the, the woman at the kiosk was a muslim lady so i'm like what if she doesn't like our paper? You know, what if she says something like "this is not good enough" or something? And she kind of looked at us like, "Well, whether you're gay, you know, gay or straight, it's the same paper you have to fill out." Basically, she was telling like us, "Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to treat you any differently, like or, or for the better, because just because you're a lesbian or same sex, uh, di- um, same sex couple." So I was kind of ashamed myself. I was like, oh my God, I'm so used to treat myself as a second citizen, you know, prepare all the answers and then just kind of make sure if any anything, make sure that everything is in, in order. All I had to do is just bring the piece of paper, you know, marriage certificate and which form do I fill out, you know? But I was so nervous. But then at that moment, I was like, I feel, I feel pretty normal. I, I, I'm treated like a normal person, and that was 2011. Ten years after, um, I'm still used to, I don't know, just living like a, like just like everybody else in the community.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to see if you have internalized certain things that for a long time you live in this defense mode, right? Like, okay, what's going to happen now? What do I need to prove? And also interesting what you say that you went to that counter and you yourself were already in the defense mode, but you also had your prejudice against the person you were talking to. And actually both things were kind of totally um, contested and deconstructed.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. She was just doing her job. And I was just one of the many people who were there to just do some paperwork, you know, and that was it.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, A question that I want to ask you, um, what is feminism for you?
0: Um
1: or do you consider yourself a feminist?
0: I yes, I am. I I used to say, no, I'm I'm not. (laughs) Because
1: I want to know that too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I
0: guess I was one of these people who would say, Well, I've never been discriminated against for my gender. You know, people should work hard or meritocracy kind of thinking. You have to work hard to be respected, but now I completely have different views. I think feminist, feminism to me is about standing up for each other as a woman and call, call out the wrongdoing when you see it. Don't just dismiss it because it's not happening to you. It can happen to me tomorrow, you know, if it's not happening to me now. So call out the wrongdoing, just support each other. And to me, that's that's
1: feminism. feminism to me. And what changed that now you say, I am a feminist?
0: Um, I think after moving to the Netherlands, in Japan, I, I really didn't realize, like, I didn't, like, this is, sounds so terrible, but I didn't even realize there was a wage gap between the, the two genders uh, because I personally didn't, never experienced it. And I, I guess I never sort of paid attention to other people's problems, and yeah, um, but then after moving here, yeah, I, I think just hanging out with different type of friends and getting different type of information and different
1: types of discussions that I was involved with. It's interesting to see how how many changes you you have uh, been through in your thinking, right? Mm. on on so many levels also what you said before i used to make money for this big corporations like being part of this capitalist society totally then you have a child your child (coughs) changes everything for you (laughs) and you become like you 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 create your own door you walk through the door you create your own organization it's all about inclusion it's all about um well-being belonging totally different values and yeah
0: Yeah, I think after moving to the Netherlands and with doing the MBA, with you know the colleagues, um, fellow students from like forty different countries, different socio economical background, and yeah, and then starting inclusion sensei seems like kind of a out of blue idea after ten years, ten years after MBA. But I think everything was kind of piling up, you know, meeting different people. Uh, hearing different opinions and like having a child was kind of a last sort of share straw, it. straw. <laughs> and then boom, everything made sense. This is not good. This is not okay.
1: Yeah. And what are you advocating for? I mean, you've already kind of mentioned it, but what is it like that you? Because you also actually work for um, Workplace Pride in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, you're also involved with them.
0: Yeah. I think what I'm advocating for is equality, but equality is not enough that I realized (laughs) because when you talk about equality, for example, um, like uh, equal pay uh, between men and women, that sounds nice, but then we need to focus on equity, not just equality because there is punishment gap. Exists, so you can find a lot of studies that showed women are punished harder much harder women and minority groups uh, people are punished much harder for the same mistakes that they make against men so yeah i'm advocating for not just equality but also equity workplace equity
1: yes for me equity also means that Different people need different things. It's not just about, okay, everybody gets, uh, I don't know, (laughs) half an hour break to have water, you know? No, different people need different things. That's also what equity is about. It's not the same for everybody.
0: Exactly. And I I kept talking about gender, but, you know, culture, race, people with uh, disabilities and, you know, things like that. So Age, class. Age, everything. Everything that has to do with the person, personal characteristics. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the the whole concept actually of intersectionality and I'm Mm -hmm. actually quite happy to, I mean, on the one hand, I feel like it has become like a buzzword companies just use it, you know, but Mm -hmm. on the other hand, I also see there's a lot more awareness on that, that Mm -hmm. um, discrimination is not just based on being a woman because yeah, yeah, if you are a woman and as you said, uh, you're white, you're cisgender you don't experience the same discrimination as a woman that is maybe black and she's a lesbian. Exactly. Exactly. Or um, a woman that is a mother versus a woman that is not a mother. Exactly. So there are a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration. I know that you are a big advocate for that as well. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah, but I also realize I need to focus. Like I can't sort of I can't touch them all. The yeah. intersectionality. So right now, focusing, I'm really focusing on gender and LGBTQ plus uh, inclusion because we share a lot of sort of similar issues, basically gender based uh, discrimination and harassment. Yeah, so that, that's that's my focus.
1: What What do you think, um, CEOs, managers, supervisors, HR um, professionals? have to do better when it, beca- when it comes to the LGBTQI plus community?
0: I think the very first step for, especially for leadership, top management is to understand the scale of the issue that the, in, in, the, in their organization, it's not about the right thing to do, but not just about the right thing to do, but it also makes business sense. And yet they have other priorities. So the first step is to kind of take a stop just listen to what what your employees have to say. Uh, it's especially important because um, uh, so the workforce is so diverse now. So three to f- sometimes four different generations work together, right? Baby boomers, Gen X, Y, Z, and Gen Z uh, has arrived, and they have totally different expectations when it comes to workplace inclusion. Uh, so. You know, just do reverse mentoring system, then listen to the young people. They're, they demand inclusion regardless of their gender or sexual orientation or gender expressions. They expect equality and equity for everyone, not just LGBTQ plus people, but for everyone. So listen to them and sort of learn, understand the scale of the challenge and issues that existing uh, organizations have in, in this matter. Uh, in workplace inclusion, if if they want to hire top talents, the young talents, they need to listen to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. The other day we had a conversation with my partner, and um, I said the word trans. I think I use because I was reading an article actually with my studies, and you know, first there was this word transsexual, right? And then later they started using transgender, and I used transsexual. And one of my kids says, "What is transsexual?" So I explained a little bit. And then he just Mm -hmm. says, oh, you mean transgender? Yeah, I know that. Mm -hmm. And he's 10, you know. And I thought, like, wow, this is so great, you know. And I asked him, how do you know? Yeah, I know. I know. From my school, you know, we discuss it with my classmates. (laughs) And I was like, wow, okay. So it really goes in line with what you're saying, right? Things that we had to fight for, the younger generation, for them, it's non-negotiable. It is what it is. It's like that. And you have to do it. And I really don't care.
0: Exactly yeah
1: and how do you raise your kids? God oh <laughs> God I mean you know, I'm talking general yeah, now
0: yeah, I mean, we try we try our best to you know my for um the old the oldest she's five now, up until she was almost three. we picked her clothes, you know, just lime green, purple, yellow, whatever the sort of neutral color gray when she turned three and yeah older she just started to choose really girly stuff like pink and hearts and this and that and there's like limit that what we can do at in the house and then the and then she we didn't watch her uh, we didn't let her watch cartoons or you know Disney movies and stuff like that but she absorbs it when she goes out right from her friends or their house or whatever and and scary enough she's starting to sort of gender stereotype dolls you know this is a boy because he has short hair and i'm like wait a second in my <laughs> in our house we don't gender stereotype anything why do you think i have i have short hair am i a boy now like no you're a girl okay what makes a boy? What, what makes this doll a boy? And, you know, um, so we try to have open conversation and try to understand where she's coming from and never sort of correct her, but question her. Why is that the case? You know, tell me. And after having some conversations, she started to think, "Oh, okay. Yeah. You have short hair. You're not a boy. And then I say, boys can have long hair if they want to. That's also fine. They're like, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. So, yeah, we try. But uh, she also sort of stereotype me or Asian people, like because I guess she one day she asked like, "What does Asian mean?" So I'm like, "Well, people like me, you know, who look like me." And she said, "Oh, people who lo- who eat a lot of rice." I'm like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, like, "Wow!" Yes, I eat a lot of rice, and then. The other mom, Caucasian-American mom, prefers to eat more bread. So <laughs> that's that's her, you know, comparison, I guess. I'm like, well, I eat more rice than the other mom, but you need to assess the information fairly, you know. Don't you want to see more Asian people and then what they eat? And I'm like, yeah, but Baba, who's my mom, also eat a lot of rice. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, this is an innocent, you know, stereotyping. But yeah, we try, we try to have a conversation when when this type of thing happens, and just of make sure that there's a whole lot more out there. My yeah, child,
1: I, I try to do the same, and it's really funny because one of my kids, uh, he he said actually two things. One time, he told me, "Mom, women don't drink coffee; they only drink tea." <laughs> why so it's exactly what you said actually because you don't drink coffee you only drink tea and my father he drinks coffee yeah and he also was saying women don't drive only men drive because <laughs> most of the time my partner drives because I just can't be bothered to drive anymore you know yeah so I also had to explain to him that this is not the case but it's funny how they make these simplistic conclusions yeah you know, I mean in their mind and I think it's very important for us as parents to address yeah. those things, not to get upset with them, as you said, but to really discuss it and even ask them, exactly. how do you come up with this?
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I think family is the smallest uh, social community, right? We spend so much time together. Um, they see what they do, uh, they, what we do. They listen what we say. So
1: they imitate well, us.
0: <laughs> Im- they imitate us.
1: And who has been your salt who inspired you?
0: There's just so many. It's it's so hard to pick one, and I don't want to be the sort of cliche. But I think my kid, my children. It, it's just it's, it's a big statement. But I wanted to change the change the world with my capacity, with the capacity that I have for them. You know, the workplace is so not fair. So so not ready to have our children. But by the time they enter into labor market you know work become workforce and hoping to make even a little bit of difference for young women and men as well i mean of course my mom my friends um you stella you also, you know you are also an inspiration there are so many people who inspired me yeah of course and yeah you're doing this podcast you're, you you want to make a difference right in the society in the yes. community and my effort alone may not be enough to bring big difference big change but people like you know someone like you and many other out there and when we come together I think it will become powerful force and want i want to be part of the force rather than just kind of witnessing the force
1: so that's nice yeah and To whom do you want to pass the salt? What do you want to say to the younger generation? Even though they are, of course, already saying a lot of things to us. But
0: yeah, I think find your passion and follow it. It took so long for me to do this. I'm 43 now and, you know, it took 41 years for me to sort of actually do the things that I really care about. Um, but all the things that I did in business development, uh, it's helping me to do the job, you know, to, to to run my own business. So I don't regret it, not a bit. Um, I'm happy for what I did. I learned so much. and there's so many great people. Yeah, it, but it doesn't have to take 41 years, you know. Some people know their passion when they're much younger and they follow it. Um, So for younger generation, I think in, I mean, the society is aging at some point, I think some countries, they have to put a basic income, for example, then earning money, buying expensive car or watch or, you know, handbag, those things will become irrelevant. I hope, I hope. Then what's left? Your passion, you know, your meaningfulness for your life. You know, um, I hope everybody, especially the younger generation, can really focus on their passion rather than how much they need to make or pay for the uh, college fee and all that stuff. Um, I hope the society will become much fairer for all, not just a small percentage of the wealthy people. Um, So hopefully the young generation now, can make the the world, including ourselves too, but make the society a little bit a better place for all and so that younger generations um, can find, can live in the way that
1: they should and, you know, following their passion. Yes. I like that. I like what you said.
0: Follow your dream. Find your passion and follow it.
1: And don't care so much about materialistic things. Exactly.
0: That because oh God. It that it is very short-lived, what to me at least. Um yeah, the all the fancy business trips or fancy cars and stuff like that. It's nice to have. But yeah. So what? Yeah. Things break. But experience, education, knowledge, nobody can take that away from you. So. I was and once I at liked, yeah.
1: Yes, I was once at an event and a woman told me what you have in your head, your stories, your intelligence, your memories, what you've seen, nobody can take this away from you. You will always carry that with you. You, you don't even need to carry it on your shoulders, you have it here. And I didn't forget this like never, I never, never forgot that she told me this, and she really inspired me with this statement. I didn't, don't even remember her name; mm. just remember it was in Estonia at a, at a conference. And yeah, it's it goes in line with what you just said. And do you have a question for me? Yeah, who who inspired you? Who inspired me to do the
0: the podcast or the Oh, the that podcast. You do. Or, the podcast.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think on the one hand, my story. My life story, my life story, Any, anyway, certain things I went I went through in my life, certain things I witnessed, I saw. But then who really inspired me to actually do it was my daughter. So it uh, goes in line with what you also shared about um, your own children. So when I was pregnant with her in 2019, I really decided to realize this project and really go for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's about the podcast. And in general, of course, many people as you said one of them my mother she inspired me with um she always told me education is the most important thing educate yourself be independent don't depend on your partner on on anybody my father who told me to live my life to travel the world to make a family um when i feel like okay i've i've seen things you know i've done things and um also he always told me don't care what people think about you if they have a problem I have your back they can come to me and talk to me you know (laughs) don't care about them if you die they won't come with you you know so both of my parents and then Maya Angelou I'm a big fan of Maya Angelou Mm -hmm. because she's just amazing she she had so many different lives and I've always had a challenges and probably this resonates with you i always thought i have to be one thing but i wasn't one thing i was many mm-hmm. things and i was living in a society that liked to put people into boxes and mm-hmm. i didn't fit any of those boxes mm-hmm. and it was really difficult and at that time i didn't have the words i didn't have the knowledge when you're very young you don't know right so um when i discovered her she really inspired me with this and she inspired me with her strength and and the fact of yeah one time maybe i have to be a dishwasher. And then the next day I can be a professor, you know, like, you know, y- y- your life is a journey and you just have to go for it and don't give up, you know, and this was something that of course, my mom also always told me. Mm-hmm. So these have been some of the people that have inspired me. And also recently, Michael Jordan. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because uh, uh, he, he was so like, also like he didn't give up and he was so uh, hardworking, you know, and the, uh, yeah, he, he, I also like uh, him. Sometimes when I'm tired, I think about him, you know. <laughs> Michael I feel like Jordan. Michael Jordan, you he know. Tired. <laughs> he didn't give up, so that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I can list a lot more people, but these are some of the important mm-hmm. ones. So, yeah. So, we've got towards the end of our conversation, and All right. I thank you very much well, thank for you this. For having and me. Uh, of course, I could have asked you a lot of other things. <laughs> But uh, for now, yes, I I thank you so much. And I want to finish because I always honor a woman at the end of my podcast. And today I want to honor Gloria Mm Ansadua. And I think once I speak a little bit about her, it will be clear why I chose her. She was born on the Texas side of the Mexican-American border in 1942, and she died in 2004 She was a Chicana, she was a lesbian, she was a feminist, she was a poet, an activist, an author of children's books and fiction, and she was a theoretician. And she is among others, um, so she had several books, but she's also the author of Borderlands. And Borderlands consists of her opinions about boundaries. She was a pioneer in the crossing of borders and she said about herself, I'm a border woman. And I'm not talking only about literal borders, because she believed that identity was fluid and that many identities exist within the same person simultaneously. And this is something that really speaks to me. That's why I also love Maya Angelou so much. And through her work and her life, she showed us how important it is to cross borders because they really reveal the constructed nature of disciplines, of categories, of concepts, and they reveal the relationship between knowledge and power. She questioned and analyzed many borders and categories through her work. And she was really ahead of her time. She actually kind of coined also the term intersectionality. Of course, we know Kimberly Crenshaw Mm -hmm. did that officially, let's say. But she also put emphasis on that. She put emphasis on interdisciplinarity. And she really influenced feminism and gender studies a lot. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she did not witness her success. But how it is quite often... And I wanna read um, uh, the end actually of her poem To Live in the Borderlands, where she wrote, to live in the borderlands means the mill with the razor, white teeth, wants to shred off your olive red skin, crush out the kernel, your heart, pound you, pinch you, roll you out, smelling like white bread, but death. To survive the borderlands, you must live sin fronteras, be a crossroads. She always also switched between Spanish and English. She used a lot of code switching in her poems. Again, wow. breaking borders. Nice. And I wanted to finish with her.
0: Yes. Again, thank you for taking the time. Well, of course. Thanks for having me, thanks Stella. And it's, it's great to talk to you as always. You. But uh, yeah, it was a good moment for me to kind of reflect why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, all these questions kind of reminded me again, like, this is why, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's great to uh, have the uh, inspirational discussion and talk.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. So please follow me on Instagram under Solve the Podcast and feel free to contact me if you have questions, if you want to be on the show. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Saliari and this is salt the Podcast. Solve the Podcast.